We're going to turn to our first Bible reading, which is the Old Testament Bible reading. And if you've got one of these church Bibles, it'll be on page 610, Ecclesiastes 6, starting from verse 1. Here's a tragedy I've observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a man riches, wealth and honour, so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy it. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. (laughs) This is a futile and sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children and live many years. No matter how long he lives, if he's not satisfied by good things and does not even have a proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than him. For he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. And if he lives a thousand years twice, but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place? For man's labour is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. What advantage then does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage is there for the poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than wandering desire. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Whatever exists was given its name long ago and it is known what man is. But he is not able to contend with the one stronger than he. For when there are many words, they increase futility. What is the advantage for man? For who knows what is good for man in life in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow? Who can tell man what will happen after him under the sun? Second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 50, 15, sorry, starting at verse 50. So it's on page 1062. So it's 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 50. Brothers, I tell you this, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and corruption cannot inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the blink of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thanks for that. Thanks for that, Ben. Thanks, Anna. Well, friends, welcome tonight. It's great to be here. If I didn't catch you before, my name's Justin. I'm one of the student ministers here at church by the bridge. Look, I want to begin tonight by taking us back to the year 1983. Do you remember that year? 1983, when permed hair and shoulder pads were still all the rage. The year when Flashdance, remember Flashdance? Flashdance hit the movies and some of us were inspired to take our passion and to make it happen. Bob Hawke came to power. Bjorn Borg retired from international tennis. And then Michael Jackson kept telling you and me that Billie Jean was not his lover. 1983, what a year, right? But you see, that year, it's also significant for another reason. Because we met for the first time someone who had become, probably for the last three decades, one of the most successful entertainers that we've ever seen. But friends, have a listen to what she has to say about her success. She says this, All of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I'm thinking that I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. And my drive in this life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and it's always pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Who is she? They call her the Queen of Pop. But for most of us, we'll know her as a singer-songwriter, entertainer, Madonna. And friends, those were her insights into her success. Success. I mean, it's one of the things I struggle making sense of most. Why? Because I'm immersed in a culture which values and wants it so much, and I'm feeling the desire for it constantly. And honestly, on the inside, I think there's a part of me which is fueled by a fear of failure. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all looking for success in some way, shape, or form, right? But success, it means different things to different people, doesn't it? Because, I mean, for some of us, we see success through the lens of our jobs and our careers, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious in our culture in this time and age. But others of us are looking for it in relationships. And there are some of us who are deeply invested in our friendships or our, or our families. Or we're passionate about self-improvement, our philanthropy or our personal causes, but whatever success might look like, it involves that desire to achieve, right? That drive to be somebody, to do something important. I mean, the desire for success, if we're honest with ourselves, it's, it's in our DNA. And so when it's hard to come by, it leaves us deflated, right? I mean, think about the last time you missed out on something that you really, really wanted. 
that you were hoping for. Do you remember how you felt? Because the reality is that it doesn't matter how many good things that you and I have got going for us at that time, we still go through those same emotions, right? I mean, you guys will remember the global financial crisis in 2008. It's a bit of a shock, right? You see, what you might not know was that when that crisis hit, it led to the tragic loss of several once very well-connected, wealthy, well-respected people. I mean, the research estimated that after the GFC hit, at least 10,000 suicides were linked to that crisis in Europe and North America. That was a 6.5 and a 4.5% increase, respectively, in those continents. 10,000. That's confronting, isn't it? I sometimes think, think to myself, what would I do if I lost everything? See, what I want to do tonight is to explore the nature of success, how it connects with us and, and who we are, but more importantly, what it means for us. And so we're going to look at two things tonight. Firstly, we're going to look at the success that seduces. What does that look like? And secondly, we're going to look at the success that satisfies. And what I'm hoping we'll see is that enduring success is the only thing that's going to satisfy our desire for it. So let's explore our first point tonight. Success can be so seductive, can't it? I mean, the more we have, the more we want. And the more we're prepared to give up to get it, right? Now, some of you guys will be familiar with the parable of the rich fool in chapter 12 of the gospel of Luke. What do we see there? I mean, Jesus shows us just how self-destructive the desire for success can be, doesn't he? I mean, have a look at what it says in verse 15. It says this, Watch out and be on your guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. So you might be thinking to yourself at this point, well, Jesus is simply talking about the dangers of material possessions, right? That having lots of stuff is, is kind of bad. But you see, what I think he's getting at is this. I think he's trying to go a lot deeper because he's getting to what's in our hearts. The drive to want more, more security, more wealth, more success. I mean, possessions, our properties, our share portfolios, a lot of the times, the truth is that they're the products and symbols of our success, aren't they? Now listen to the parable that Jesus tells in verse 16. He says this, a rich man's land was very productive. This guy was successful. He thought to himself, what should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I'll do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods right there. He's saying, I'll find a way. I'm going to find a way to protect and preserve the products of my success and the symbols of my success. Why? Because I want more of it. I mean, 
can you sense the undertone of addiction that's here? Can you see how his desire for success is fueled by this greed and hunger for more? And then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Keep it up, do more deals, more properties, as many as you possibly can have, and then retire and enjoy it. But what does God say? You fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? See what Jesus is getting at here? I mean, we don't need to look to politics or, you know, places like Hollywood to see how seductive and and self-destructive success can be, can't we? Because we can see it closer to homes in the companies and the firms we work for. Who do they love hiring? They love hiring what we might call achievement addicts, right? People who are hungry and driven by dissatisfaction. You might have heard of someone called Mary Bell. So Mary Bell's a counselor in the US and she works with executives to identify the things in their lives which are pushing them towards self-destructive behavior. Now, according to her, achievement is the alcohol of our time. You see that? But only these days, people don't abuse alcohol. What do they abuse? They abuse their lives. Let me explain. I'm sure you've heard of it before. You've heard of how people are are proud of how they've been flogged or smashed for 80 hours a week. How they're, you know, giving up their lives, you know, to to their company or their firm or or the business that that they're running. Sounds familiar, right? Because you see, success, it kind of gives us this initial euphoria, doesn't it? I mean, you think about it, you complete a project or a deal and you feel great, don't you? But the problem is this, the feeling doesn't last forever, does it? So what do you do? You start something new. Well, that's, that's normal. But you keep looking for that high, right? And then you, you're working on the next thing and it's, it's not looking so good. What happens? Well, fear and anxiety begins to creep in, right? Why? your self-esteem's on the line because you've been gathering your self-worth my self-worth i've been gathering myself with externally and you think to yourself what's on the other side shame humiliation mockery and so what do you do you do whatever it takes to recover that high so you can avoid that low You see how it messes with our sense of identity? You see how addictive it is? See, we kind of think that that drive empowers us, don't we? But the reality is this. It doesn't empower us. It enslaves us, doesn't it? And it encourages self-centered ambition, right? I mean, let's step back and think about it for a moment. I mean, this sort of success, it's so fleeting, isn't it? You see, the Bible 
captures for us just how fragile our lives really are. James in chapter 4 of his letter says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. He's saying, you who pursue your own success interstate, overseas, as if you were somehow entitled to it, like you were the masters of your own destiny. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring, what your life will be. Because the reality is this. You and I are like smoke that appears for a while and then vanishes. You know what gets me every time I go to the cemetery? How everyone's life is summed up by just one dash. The year they were born, dash the year they died. I mean, <laughs> what a, a super positive note to end the week on, right? To get us all pumped and motivated for the week ahead. But friends, that's the reality, isn't it? I mean, how many people do you think have lived and died on earth? Have a guess. How many people lived and died on earth? Think of a number in your head. Let me tell you. Over a hundred billion people. Isn't that crazy? Every one of them in their own lifetime, pursuing success in, in their own way. I mean, they've left some, I'm sure, some wonderful memories with their children or you know, their grandchildren or even their great-grandchildren. But beyond that, who they were, what they did, no one really remembers, do they? But success is still so seductive, isn't it? But why? I mean, why have we got this drive in us to succeed? And what are we, what are we meant to do with it? I mean, are we meant to fuel the addiction? Or maybe we just pretend that it isn't really as fleeting as, as we know it to be. Why? Because I guess it gives you and me a reason to get up every morning, right? Because thinking about it any other way is just too depressing. But if that's it, I mean, why are, we just, why are we just deluding ourselves? I mean, aren't we just deluding ourselves out of what's basically a really tragic reality? See, friends, I think there's another way to look at this. And let's move to our next point, because, you see, you and I were made for success that satisfies and what does success that satisfies look like? Well, early tonight we heard from the book of Ecclesiastes that Ben read out to us, and we saw how the author's wrestling with making sense of his desires, right? And he observes just how perverse everything is. Have a look at chapter 6, verse 1. Here is a tragedy I've observed under the sun, and it weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a man riches and wealth and honor so that he lacks nothing of all he desires for himself. But, and here's the perversity he's struggling with, God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. 
Now come with me further down to verse 7 in that same chapter. And I, and I think what he says here really captures it for us. All a man's labor is for his stomach and yet the appetite is what? Never satisfy. See what he's saying? He's saying that we have this desire for success and yet nothing that we can see or nothing around us seems to satisfy it. See, it makes no sense, does it? As some of you guys know, uh, earlier this year, one of history's most successful music groups were in town. You see, friends, this group has sold, and this is a true story, more albums than the Beatles. Can you believe it? Who am I talking about? The Backstreet Boys, of course. And friends, I had the wonderful privilege, it really was a privilege, of seeing this vocal harmony group, and don't be mistaken, there's so much more than just a boy band, this vocal harmony group live in concert, along with 15,000 emotionally supercharged women. And you know, there's only one way to describe this sort of experience. Amazing. Simply amazing. But look, I've got to be honest. There was a moment during the concert when I thought to myself, why are you guys still doing this? I mean, what's driving you? I mean, you've been doing the same thing for 20 years and you're still singing songs with lyrics like, everybody, yeah. Rock your body, yeah. Everybody, rock your body right. Why? Because Backstreet's back, all right. And prancing around the stage doing things that men really shouldn't be doing. I mean, seriously, what's with that? What's driving this? You see, this might come as a bit of a surprise to you and me, but I think C.S. Lewis has some insights here. Listen to what he has to say about our desires. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation? That we were made another world. See what he's saying? He's saying that the desires that we find in ourselves, the desires for success, that we were meant to have that desire. But, and this is important, if we're looking to have that desire satisfied by, you know, things that are going to fade and age over time, whatever they might be, our jobs, our families, our relationships, status, those things simply aren't going to cut it. And what's the most likely explanation for the desire that's in us? Well, those desires are meant to be fulfilled and satisfied by something much greater and more enduring. Now, early tonight, uh, Anna read from us from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, in the ancient, so Christians in the ancient city of Corinth. And you might know this already, but just a bit of background about the city of Corinth. It was probably one of the largest and the most important cities in Greece at that time, a place of abundant wealth and success. You see, there's a short, but I think really striking verse that we read before at the end of chapter 15. 
verse 58. And this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says this, Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast and immovable. He's saying, he's telling them to be focused, to be committed, and to be dedicated, right? And he then says, always, what? Excelling. Excelling, right? You see that word? Keep pushing, keep pursuing, keep seeking success. But in what? In this. In the Lord's work. Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see, whenever we see the word, therefore, we need to ask the question of ourselves, well, what's the therefore, therefore? And if we're familiar with chapter 15 of this letter, you'll know that the Apostle Paul, he's been explaining to the Christians there the ultimate hope of the Christian life, right? That even though each of us, our bodies and our minds are fading away, death won't have the last say. Because the promise is that just as Jesus rose from the dead, we'll experience that same resurrection for ourselves as well. And friends, what Paul's trying to get at here in this verse is this. That the hope and promise of our resurrection isn't something that we're just hanging out for, right, in the, in, in the future. But it's something which impacts us and has implications for us right here right now because if this life is all there really is then everything we achieve every success it comes to nothing right because i mean every one and every thing is going to be forgotten every good thing that's been ever done will ultimately come to nothing but and here's the big but and friends, you guys already know exactly how much I love big buts. But if there is a God and the resurrection is real and there is a true but hidden reality behind and beneath the one that we can see and God shows us that this life, the one that we can touch and see right now, isn't the only life then everything that's done during our lifetime, every success pursued for God in line with His intentions and His purposes in relationship and in connection with Him, right? Doesn't that matter and endure forever? You see that? I mean, have you ever been at work? I'm, I'm sure you guys have been at work and thought to yourself, what on earth am I doing here? Yeah, you know that feeling? I mean, it happens to me every day, or almost every day. Or maybe you've got a heart for investing your time into, you know, great causes. But the reality is that if this life closes with the chapter titled Death, then there's reason to be disillusioned, isn't there? You see that? But why isn't our work in vain? Why does, why does the Apostle Paul say that our work isn't in vain? Because it's empowered by the reality of God and the promise of His resurrection will be our resurrection as well. And so if we're connected with Him, then everything changes, doesn't it? Everything. Because our success is connected with His purposes and intentions for our life 
And the promise is that what we do in this life really does echo into eternity. And friends, that's why it brings the ultimate success that satisfies. As some of you guys might know, I work in one of the law firms in the city. And you see, I started many years ago, um, back in uni in 2003, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And as you can see, things have clearly changed since then. But there are times when I've asked myself, what am I still doing here after 12 years? I mean, you know, the work is interesting and engaging, but you know what's ultimately kept me there? One thing, relationships. You see, I work with a a great bunch of people. I mean, we've spent late nights together. We've had some amazing wins over the years. But most of all, we've just done life together. It's ups and it's downs. I mean, last year, as some of you guys will know, it was a particularly tough year for, uh, for you know, Jen and myself with you know, both um, my parents-in-law passing away. And I was actually out of the office for three whole months. That's a long time. But you know what? My colleagues, they held the fort for me, every one of them, the entire time. And that's what makes them so amazing. And that's what makes those relationships so important for me. And that's why for me, that's why success at work has been so meaningful. Because it's been shared with people that I trust and that I connect with. And I'm sure for you guys, you know, somewhere along the way, you've experienced just how rewarding shared success is with people who you really love, love being with, and people you love being connected with. You see, friends, success finds its ultimate satisfaction in meaningful relationships, doesn't it? Jesus tells us in chapter 17 of the Apostle Paul's gospel, he says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. See, friends, God longs for us to experience the satisfaction of enduring success. And that's why his deepest desire is to connect and have relationship with you and me. That we might know him personally and intimately and him us. Because let's be honest, the reality is that you and me, all of us, we've been seduced by fleeting success, haven't we? We've craved it, we've pursued it at some stage. And we've disconnected ourselves from him and his purposes for us. But God is calling each one of us to come back to him tonight. To experience life and success that endures forever. How? By knowing Jesus who died for us in our place on the cross. To restore the relationship that we'd broken. And to trust that his resurrection secures our resurrection. And then simply doing this. Following in his footsteps. Not pursuing success through selfish, self-centered ambition, but by seeking success that seeks the good of others first. How? By joyful, wholehearted love and service. I mean, that, that sort of success, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, we've seen it in Jesus, haven't we? 
the most important thing is it reshapes our identity. How? You see, I think Pastor Tim Keller puts it well. He says that if we find our identity in the things of this world, like work, relationships, family, status, rather than Jesus, then this happens. Success will go to our heads and failure will go to our hearts. And that's why only by knowing Jesus can every success that we experience here and now be satisfying, enduring, and worthwhile. Friends, I want to end tonight with a story that I came across a couple of years ago. And you know, it's really stuck with me. It's a story of a teenager called Brooke Bronkowski. And she wrote this about her hopes and her dreams. And I've extracted a bit for us. But let me read what she had to say about her life. I'll live my life to the fullest. I'll be happy. I'll brighten up. I'll be more joyful than I have ever been. I'll be kind to others. I'll loosen up. I'll tell others about Christ. I'll go on adventures and change the world. I'll be bold and not change who I really am. I'll have no troubles, but instead help others with their troubles. You see, I'll be one of those people who live to be history makers at a young age. Oh yeah, I have moments of good and bad, but I'll wipe away the bad and only remember the good. In fact, that's all I remember, just good moments. Nothing in between, just living my life to the fullest. I'll be one of those people who go somewhere on a mission, have an awesome plan, a world-changing plan, and nothing will hold me back. I'll set an example for others. I'll pray for direction. I'll have my life before me. I'll give others the joy I have, and God will give me more. I'll do everything God tells me to do. I'll follow the footsteps of God. I'll do my best. I mean, friends, isn't that a stunning vision for life? But you see, it's what happens next, which is important. Because during her first year in high school, Brooke was in a car accident whilst driving to the movies. And so, her life ended at 14. But you see, here's the thing. Her impact did Why? Because nearly 1,500 people turned up to her memorial service. Her friends read poems. She'd written about her her love for God. They shared stories of her example and her joy. And her pastor explains that that day, he shared the good news of Jesus with people there, and he invited those who wanted to know Jesus to come up and give their lives to him. What happened? 200 students reconnected with their maker that day. I just handed out Bibles to each of them, Bibles which Brooke had kept in her garage. Why? Because she'd hoped to give them to her friends one day. And her pastor explains that in one day, Brooke led more people back to God than most ever will. Friends, right here, the one we've just heard, the story we've just heard, is a story of a successful life, isn't it? A life lived seeking a success that endures, 
According to Brooks' pastor, he says this, our greatest fear in life shouldn't be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. I don't know about you guys. I struggle with this. I mean, I know this to be true. I know it in my head, but my heart struggles with it. And if I'm honest with myself, I'm anxious and I'm frustrated about a lot of things. I'm frustrated about politics at work. I'm frustrated and anxious and wondering if where I'm at in life, whether I'm heading in the right direction, whether what I'm doing right now is actually going to have an impact. And I'm tempted to look either side, the people around me to compare myself and just to look either side rather than actually look up to the one who's calling me to. What about you guys? Is your desire for success at work, in relationships, in family driving you? Or is it just a desire to keep up with the Joneses? Is that what's pushing you? Friends, let's be challenged tonight not to seek success that seduces, but to seek enduring success that satisfies. Friends, shall we pray? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need to be honest with you. And if we're honest with you, we know that we have been seduced by the things of this world. Other people might not see, but you see it, Lord. But Father, you've spoken to us tonight and you have challenged us to give up that success and to be satisfied in the success that you offer to us. That comes from knowing you, being connected with you, knowing your love, following you. So God, why don't you lead us back to the foot of the cross? Why don't you lead us to see the hope of the resurrection and help us experience the life that is truly life? Father, forgive us. and We know that you are faithful and good. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.